This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We know we live on a sin-cursed earth that is broken. We understand that there are times, according to God's word, that the only way to deal with the sin is to eradicate it. God tells us in his word that there are sins that, if committed, are worthy of death. And God has given authority to government to carry that out. Execution is a reality here. But we also know because of our failure, our inability to always see what is true, sometimes executions are wrong. Sometimes they get it wrong and innocent people die. History records for us that in modern times the most well-known executioner in the world was Charles Henry Sanson. He was a Frenchman who oversaw the execution of 2,918 victims. Probably the most notable of those that he executed was King Louis XVI. This man also helped develop the guillotine as a less painful and more humane way to carry out the sentence of death. Scripture records for us, though, that in all eternity, the most notable executioner will be a man who ordered the death of the only perfect man to ever live. Jesus Christ was that perfect man. His executioner was a man named Pontius Pilate. Pilate's name is mentioned 56 times in the New Testament. Tonight on this Good Friday, Passover 2023, I'd like us to hear the testimony of Pilate and watch his actions all of which prove that Jesus was indeed the Lamb of God sent to bear away the sins of the world. I mentioned earlier a synagogue. The only way you can explain that the Jewish people have not opened their hearts to Jesus the Messiah is because of the spiritual blindness that God says is over uh, their eyes. Because the Old Testament over and over and over points to Messiah and then the New Testament shows us how Jesus fulfilled all those messianic prophecies. But here's what's amazing to me. That's the Jewish world. The Gentiles that were a part of the passion story. Jesus going to the cross, winning our salvation. Those, those Gentiles as well were a part of, a, of an, uh, an amazing story that God in the fullness of time caused to happen. And he used Gentiles as well, including a man named Pontius Pilate. And what Pilate did also proved that indeed Jesus is God come in the flesh to be our Savior. And so tonight, I've entitled our message, Pilate, 
validates Jesus' identity. Have you ever thought about that? Pilate validated Jesus' identity. And if you'll stop and consider the interaction of Pilate with our Lord and with the Jews through the Gospels, it becomes very clear. And we want to do that uh, this evening. Turn in your Bibles, please, to John, the 18th chapter. As you're turning, note that this man, Pontius Pilate. Pontius is a family name. It was a family name in Rome. It was a name that was well known. The very meaning of the name indicates that this family, they were known as warriors and horsemen. Pilate was the fifth Roman procurator of Judea. He reigned from 26, AD 26 to 36. There is little record of Pilate except for what we know in the Scriptures. In fact, Bible doubters for many years, so-called scholars, scoffed at the fact that this Pilate even existed. Uh, yes, there were writings, uh, Josephus, the historian, and, and a few others, but, but when they started to do uh, excavations in Israel and, and began to try to find any evidence that this man actually existed, uh, there, there was just nothing there. Until they unearthed the amphitheater in Caesarea by the sea. I remember the first time I was there, most of it was still buried in sand. The second time I got to visit the Holy Land, they had the entire theater opened up. And guess what they found right in the center of the seating area of that theater? They found a stone and in Latin, carved on that stone, where the Roman procurator would have sat, were these words, Pontius Pilate. Of course, we already knew he was a, a true figure because the Bible said so. We do know from Luke 13, 1 and 2, that this man was ruthless. Jesus referenced this, this when he talked to the Jews about the fact that in Galilee, Pilate had mingled their blood with their sacrifices. He could be brutal. His handling of Jesus' trial, however, proves that he was a pragmatic politician. He wanted the Romans to like him. He wanted the Jews to like him. Rome prided herself with the motto, let justice be done though the heavens fall. They want to be known as a just people. Yet Pilate proved to be weak, compromising, and indecisive as a ruler. The amazing thing is that God used this man to further validate the identity and testimony of Jesus. Now, how did he do that? You're in chapter 18. Would you look, please, at verse 28? Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. Now, this would have been the fortress of Antonio within this fortress that was on the north side of the Temple Mount. 
there to oversee what was happening uh, in that that 20-acre space where the Temple Mount sat. Uh, Pilate, when he was in Jerusalem, would have resided there. Uh, There was a Roman legion that was there as well, and there was a judgment hall. This was the hall of judgment. And it was early in, in the day, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled. Why? Because it was a Gentile judgment hall. But that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If we were not, if he were not a malefactor, in other words, a lawbreaker, an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. They don't answer his question. They just want him to accept, we brought this bad guy to you, now just, just listen to us and do what we want with him. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put away, uh, put any man to death. And then verse 32 says this, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled. That last phrase sets the tone of the fact that they've brought Jesus here and now this Gentile ruler, this Roman procurator, is going to make decisions based on what he thinks is pragmatic and and, uh, perhaps right, And yet it's going to play right into the plan of God. So how does Pilate validate the identity and testimony of Jesus? Well, here's how he does it. First of all, the manner of execution. The manner of execution. Again, Pilate says in verse 31, You take him and judge him according to your law. But the Jews cried or said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That may take you back. You may be surprised by that statement. But again, Josephus comments on this. Here was the reality. Uh, Because the Jews could be a volatile people, in AD 30, Rome took away their ability to carry out the death penalty. That's what verse 31 is referring to. If they were going to put someone to death, they had to bring them to the Romans. Now, we know, even from the book of Acts, that the Romans did not enforce this uh, very well because when the uh, Jewish leaders get upset, for instance, with Stephen, the deacon, uh, what do they do? They drag him out of the city and they stone him to death. By the way, where they stoned Stephen was in view of the fortress of Antonia. Roman soldiers watched that happen and did nothing. But these Jews will use Roman law to what they think is their advantage. No, we want you to deal with him. It's Passover. We can't put somebody to death. We want you to do it. Jesus had predicted the kind of death that he would die. He mentions it in Matthew 20 and verse 19. You're in uh, John 18. Would you go back to chapter 12 and notice what Jesus says there about the death that he would die. He had predicted what is about to happen. John 12, notice verse 32. 
Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, shall draw all men unto me. This he said, now watch, signifying what death he should die. All right. So this Roman executioner, his name is Pilate, would be thinking one way about how to deal with a serious criminal. The one way has been referenced already several times tonight, crucifixion. Now note that the Jews' mock trial was the evidence. What happened in Caiaphas' house was the evidence they needed to condemn Jesus. That's, that was it. They heard him say things. They called it blasphemy. And now they haul him in before Pilate as an evildoer. Now we'll come back to the manner of execution, the crucifixion. But the text brings us to a second way that Pilate unwittingly validated Jesus' identity. You're uh, back, I hope, in John 18. Would you look at verse 19? John 18, I'm sorry, verse 29 is where I wanted us to go. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? Drop down to verse 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Now, if all you had was John's gospel and you're following the story, there are things that you're, you're going to have to assume. Well, for Pilate to say that, uh, John's gospel uh, indicates that you'd have to assume that they accused him of, of saying he was the king of the Jews. And so this is where it's important that we start comparing the gospels. Luke 23 and verse 2 lists for us the official charges against Jesus. Luke 23 and verse 2, what does it tell us? Well, here's what they said. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation, charge number one, and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, charge number two, saying that he himself is Christ, Messiah, a king. So those are the three charges. The first two claims were unsubstantiated. In fact, Jesus had taught just the opposite. Remember, he's the one that said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, unto God the things that are God's. So he was not forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. Jesus, over and over in his teaching, said, My kingdom is not of this world. He taught about a heavenly kingdom declared himself to be God. And so he was not perverting the nation from that standpoint, trying to turn them against Rome. He was not doing that. All right? But Pilate picks up especially on this last charge. He made himself a king. Pilate's responsibility in Jerusalem was to make sure that no one threatened the authority of Rome. And so the only thing that Pilate knows to latch on to is that last charge. And so back, uh, John 18, if you go to verse 33, Pilate entered the judgment hall, and that's what he asked Jesus about. Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? 
Pilate said, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Now Jesus answers the charge, that last charge. Here it is. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. What is Jesus saying? You don't have to worry about an insurrection. We're not here to fight Rome. That I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from here, not from thence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Now let's break this down a little bit. What was Jesus doing? He is ministering to the heart of Pontius Pilate. He knows that this is the man who will be his executioner. He'll give the order that will cause Jesus to die. But in this very time, what's he concerned about? He's concerned about Pilate. When Jesus would hang on the cross later, what would he be concerned about? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, what love. And so the manner of execution, again, what Pilate will do will validate the identity, the testimony of Christ. But the verdict of the executioner, and I'm not talking about the sentence of death. Before that happens, Pilate will say over and over again, this man is innocent. He'll state it. And that verdict, again, proves Jesus is who he said he was. I find no fault in him. That's not all he said. I find no fault in him at all. Wow. That should have settled the matter, right? If I was standing before a judge and he said, I find no fault in you at all, I would go, That's not what happened in the judgment hall here. Now what had brought Pilate to this determination? Jesus admitted to being the king of the Jews. Again, he does that in verse 34. However, if we break it down, here's what Jesus was saying, and here's the interaction that happened between him and Pilate. He's saying, are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? What Jesus was really asking Pilate is this, what kind of a king do you have in mind? When you ask me that, what kind of a king do you have in mind? A Roman king or a Jewish king? A political king or a spiritual ruler, spiritual king? Jesus was causing Pilate to answer the question for his own spiritual benefit. Pilate, you're looking at your Savior. What do you really think about me? As we look into this text tonight, and, and I'm grateful for our guests who are here. I don't know everyone who is here, but 
what do you think of Jesus? What is your determination of him? He made claims. He said things about himself that are completely substantiated in Scripture. He is who he claimed to be, but who do you think he is? At this point, it isn't Jesus who is on trial. It's really Pilate who's on trial. He would have to decide personally, not just politically, but personally, what he would do with Jesus. Would he believe the truth Jesus had spoken or not? Pilate at this point asks, what is truth? Believing Bible scholars and, and saints who love the Lord have been amazed by that statement. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Roman eyes looked into the eyes of the Son of God, the truth incarnate, and said, what is truth? Now some think that he was being sarcastic. Some think he was being very sincere. As the eyes of the Son of God looked into his eyes, that question came to his heart. Then Jesus admits, it is as you say, I am the king of the Jews. That's in Matthew 27, 11. Pilate found no fault in him. And keep in mind that Pilate, at this point, also has in the back of his mind the fact that he had received a message from his wife testifying to the fact that this is an innocent man. This would be a good time to insert, guys, listen to your wives. Pilate is going through this. At this point, the Lord is already working in Pilate's heart, and then a messenger, perhaps a servant, comes in and hands him a note. He pauses, he opens it, and immediately he recognizes his wife's writing. What does she say? Matthew 27, 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? Now put yourself in this situation. She's not in the judgment hall. She is probably recovering from the worst night's sleep she's had in a long time. She is sleeping and she sees in this dream. She has a dream that is in our modern vernacular. It's a nightmare. We're not told what she saw in that dream or what happened, but it scared her. And imagine then, maybe a servant comes in and, and says, do you hear all that ruckus outside? Yeah, what is going on? Well, that Jesus of Nazareth, he is standing. The, the Jewish leaders have brought him to your husband, and he is standing before him in judgment. And you can just imagine that her eyes get wide, and she realizes, I just dreamed about this. This isn't good. She sits down, writes a note, sends it to her husband. Don't have anything to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. 
Wow. Again, if you're Pilate and you've just interacted with the Lord, he's penetrated your heart, and then this note arrives, and you know in your soul he is absolutely innocent, what do you do? Well, Pilate declares Jesus to be innocent again. The Jewish leaders and people now begin to shout and accuse Jesus even more. It's been pretty tame to this point, but now it begins to escalate. When Jesus doesn't respond to their accusations, that's Matthew 27, 12 to 14, Pilate is even the more amazed. Normally, those who are being accused, if they're being falsely accused, they would speak out. They would speak in their own defense because if this continues, I could die. What does Jesus do? Says nothing. What Pilate doesn't know is that at that very moment, Jesus was fulfilling Isaiah 53 and verse 7. Listen to it. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Again, knowing that Jesus was innocent, Pilate decides to bring before the people a man who was truly a criminal. How many of you have heard about a character named Barabbas? This is where he gets inserted into the events there in the judgment hall. John 18.40 tells us that he was a robber. But that's just part of the picture. Again, you have to compare the Gospels. He was a man, according to Luke 23.19, who had stirred up sedition. He had caused a rebellion in the city and had committed murder. In the Roman mind, this guy is bad on all three counts. He's caused sedition against the Roman government. He's murdered, and he is a thief. He is stolen. Now, some Bible scholars think that he had some companions and that ultimately those companions ended up on crosses on either side of Jesus. But the ringleader... The troublemaker, the real bad guy, is Barabbas. And so Pilate brings him out, thinking perhaps that if they could see Barabbas, they knew about him, and then compared him with Jesus, they'd come to their senses and they would want the true criminal to be put to death. Is that what happened? No. In fact, what do they do? They want him to be released. And they want the innocent man to be crucified. Once again, at this point, we're reminded that he was numbered with transgressors. Jesus stands there. Barabbas stands there. The people know what Jesus has done. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's fed thousands. 
He has taught forgiveness and love. And they're crying out for his crucifixion. They would not be undeterred. Now at this point, Pilate tries another approach. He tries sympathy. Not sympathy for our Lord. He wants to appeal to the sympathy of the crowd. Maybe if they see Jesus beaten to a pulp, they will change their minds. We don't have time tonight, but if we would read on in John 19, the first 15 verses. This man that Pilate has declared is innocent. I find no fault in him at all. What does he do? He takes this innocent man and he turns him over to his soldiers to be scourged. What does that mean? They took him out of the judgment hall, took him down into the basement. And if you go to Israel today, the pavement down below and where they would keep the prisoners, where they would beat the prisoners, you can stand on those very stones. Some of us who traveled to Israel, we stood on those stones. It is certain that those stones that where we stood in that area, that there was blood from prisoners that flowed in between those stones, and no doubt the blood of the Son of God. They took him down there. They stripped him. They tied him with his arms out, his legs out, and they took a cat of nine tails, leather with pieces of glass and bone and rock that had been sharpened, and they began to beat this innocent man. With every swing of that whip, what was in the, uh, that, those leather strands were like claws. They dug into the flesh. And when that Roman soldier, who, by the way, had had lots of practice, he was good at this. When he would pull away, he would pull flesh away and just open and shred wherever that whip went. Keep in mind, the guy upstairs has declared this man completely innocent. And so they beat him. And a Roman soldier shows up with a crown of thorns. This guy claims to be the king of the Jews. And so they put a crown, this crown on his head, and these Roman soldiers back up and they all kneel. And when that gets old, they stand up, they take the reed, the rod that they've given him as a scepter, and they beat that crown down into his brow. He's been declared innocent. And so when they get done, they take him back up. Pilate presents him to the crowd, and now... What the crowd sees is hardly the man that they had seen just a short while before. Is there any sympathy? There is absolute bloodlust. He's been beaten, now he needs to die. Again, the whole while, Pilate declares his innocence. He brings him back up. He can see that the Jews are not going to change their mind about this. So Pilate declares his, in, in, uh, his innocence and, and tries to release him. When the Jews will not hear of it, Matthew 27, 24 happens. Listen, 
Then Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. In other words, take it upon yourselves to put him to death. This isn't from me. No, Mr. Pilate, you're in charge here. It is on you. And so Jesus is led away to die by crucifixion. Stripes were already laid on his back by which we are healed. The blood was flowing for the forgiveness and the cleansing of the sins of mankind. He was about to become the curse for us because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, Deuteronomy 21-23. He fulfilled that too. Now from a human standpoint, Pilate's capitulations resulted in the greatest crime in history. As a man who was declared to be innocent and just was beaten mercilessly, exchanged for a violent murderer, and then nailed to a cross until he died. He did that for you and me. He did that for those Roman soldiers that bowed in mockery and then drove nails into his body. He did that for Jewish leaders who were blinded by their hate and, as Pilate said earlier, their envy. Pilate knew why they brought Jesus to him. They were envious. And yet all that Pilate did and said validated who Christ was and why he came. We've been in John's gospel primarily tonight. Why was John's gospel written? John 20, 31 tells us that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have what? Life through his name. And so on this good Friday, and it's a great Friday, Unsaved friend, Pilate proved Jesus was the Christ. Pilate had to decide what to do with him. Will you decide to receive him? Jesus went to the cross, endured everything that we've looked at tonight because he so loved the world and he so loved you that he gave his life and shed his blood. If anyone listening to my voice tonight here in the, this room or on the live stream, if you have not admitted to God you were a sinner, that you are a sinner, and if you haven't received him, believed on this finished work that he did for you, this sacrifice, this love, you need to do that now. We have no record, and it's doubtful, that Pilate ever turned in saving faith to Jesus Christ. 2,000 years later, he's in hellfire having looked into the eyes of the loving Son of God. 
Those who reject Christ, I think for all eternity, will look back to those times they had an opportunity to believe on him and said no. Tonight you have heard from the word of God what Jesus, the Son of God, did for you. Don't turn away. Look on that cross, as the musicians sang earlier. Look on him and be saved. Will you come to Christ? And then Christian, you have placed your faith in the one Pilate ultimately rejected. His love demands all of you. Does he have all of you? It's so easy for us to yield to our flesh and to have our own way because of some foolish pleasure. But, but in those times when you're tempted, you need to look at Pilate's judgment hall. You need to look at the cross. You need to look into that empty tomb and realize he did all that for me to deliver me from the penalty sin and of sin and the power of sin. And you need to turn from sin and worship him with your whole being. Is there anything between your soul and the Savior tonight? Confess it and love him enough to abandon it. He's worthy. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, thank you for the testimony of Pilate. Lord, thank you for allowing us to see what happened in that judgment hall the great struggle that must have taken place in his heart. And he salved his conscience by asking for a basin of water, washing his hands, and thinking somehow that relieved him of any responsibility. But he turned his back on the Son of God. Lord, if there's anyone listening to my voice tonight who has never been saved, would you please draw them to yourself? Draw them to salvation. You came to seek and to save that which was lost. You came to become our sin. And so, Lord, would you save souls tonight? Then, Father, help Christians to turn from that which you delivered us from Paul will ask the question, why would we go back into bondage and those beggarly elements that once had us in chains and that condemned our souls? So Lord, as we close tonight, would you have your own way? And then Lord, bless our time at your table in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.